Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Alarm, alarm. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk uh, in the second 700 tranche of episodes that we're <laughs> currently embarked. <laughs> I'm, I, we got a bit of pushback, didn't we, from the bosses on, on Alarm, Alarm, but I like it. I like it. I think it's, I think it's you know, it's just one of those little, uh, one of those little brand judges, isn't it? You know, you see this from time to time where they suddenly call Kit Kat TikTok or something and they have to change it back to Kit Kat. It'd be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At some point, we can, at some point, I think it'd be good to do tally ho, tally ho. Well, you know what? Let's do that episode fourteen hundred and one. All right, that's a deal. So um, you, you've had an exciting time, things. You're on half term in France, and so thank you for jo- for, yeah. uh, for for making uh, for sacrificing an hour of your holiday. That's very noble of you. Ça me ferait un grand plaisir, Jim. I've got my French. I got my, my French is up on its back legs. I, I saw some amazing pictures of you looking very pucker. Uh, last oh, week God, down brilliant. in Chatham with Jules Holland and Tom yes, Jones. And Tom I mean, Jones. what the heck? Whoever knew? Well, as guests of the of the new Chief Royal, so there's a new there's a new Chief Royal engineer. They do four guest nights a year. It was brilliant. Suddenly, you realise you're at a cocktail party talking to the former commanding officer of, of sixteen Air Assault, right? <laughs> who is now, you know, who, who's one of the you know one of the people writing doctrine and stuff. It's just yeah, so amazing. interesting. And then the head of the TA, or the Reserve Army, the Army Reserve, got talking to him and uh, just really, really fascinating. And then sitting on the top table, so I went with the colonel, so it was really nice. And then at one point at the dinner, he was going through loading it loading the landing ship tank for Suez and all that with this other with this other with an old general to my right um uh it was going well I've not been on a landing ship tank but I do know the LSL landing ship, landing ship logistic you know blah 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 and, and it was just it was tremendous and then they swapped the they swapped the uh seating around at uh after the main course and so then I got a guy who was stri- straight out of Sandhurst who'd just done his P company to qualify as a, as a parachutist, you know, talking to him. And, and, and uh, he said, oh, I've just done my P company. And on my phone, I've got a picture of, um, of uh, Dad doing his P company. When he used to run P company in his squadron, where yeah, they, yeah. they'd bring people through. I got the photo out, and it's basically... And then the, this lad gets his out, and his photo on his phone of him doing P company. It's basically the only difference is the high-vis. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, How brilliant. And it's, you know, it's these, blo- these blokes running with a log, looking exhausted. It was, tr- yeah, it was, yeah. um, it was, it was tremendous. It was really, really great stuff. But then we went to the museum in the morning and got the sort of um, behind. So the you scenes stayed down, did tour. you? Stayed over. Stayed down in room one eleven, in, in the in the block. And what's mm. quite interesting is the sappers of. You know how um, the, the 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 gunners have been kicked out of Woolwich because basically they didn't they didn't sign a long enough contract to, to hang on to the barracks space and then they had the museum there and then the, the museum has, has you know been wound up the fire pan museum's gone although it was really good it's gone um, and the, but the sappers have got their site till twenty fifty they've managed to keep the developers out 
stop it from being sold out, so, so, sold off. So they've, they're on the same site. And the, the mess is fantastic. And then behind it is where people come through on their courses. It, it's just fascinating. And, and what's also, what they also have at the guest dinner is, you know, there's a guy from Tata Steel there, the head of the highways agency. The, 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 the links with civil engineering for the Corps of Engineers are really, really, they're really important sure. and really alive. Yeah. You know, because you've got to speak to the people who build bridges if you're going to know how to blow them up, right. as it were. And Sean Scullion was there, of course, because he, 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 it was through Sean... That, that we went, and there'd been the uh, RE Historical Society uh, AGM or, or, or meeting that afternoon, and I spoke to Mungo Melvin, um, who's who's a, another former. There were lots of former generals there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's local. He's, he's local to us down here in Wiltshire. He's local. Yeah, exactly. And he's in the middle of uh, Christian Wilmar is writing a a new history of the railway engineering effort post D Day. And Mungo, you know, who's a, who's, a, who's a historian of the Royal Engineers, he's going, I didn't know about this. And I, you know, I've seen every every bridging map you you could ever possibly see of every Bailey Bridge and every nut and bolt that went into Northwest Europe. But I didn't know about the rail effort and the railway maps, the railway maps post D-Day, because after all, they've got to repair the railways, which have been written down for the previous few months by the strategic air forces, which have been redirected to doing that. And he said that the railway effort, they're basically, there's a, there's a railway Bailey Bridge equivalent, which is a, like a, a you know, a, a prefab railway bridge that they've got that they keep, they have to chuck up all over Northwest Europe. Because after all, to take the strain off the road and you're shipping everything internally in Britain on rail anyway, as, as, as much as you can, that the, ra- the rail effort, and, and he says, he says, I know there are far, Mungo said, there, I know there are many, many, you know, untold, last known, untold histories of the Second World War. He says, but this one genuinely feels like one. That, that, it, that it's, no, no one has touched on this. And it's a huge part of the operational and logistic effort is getting the railways in Northwest Europe up and running so that you can use them for supply from Normandy. So, yeah, absolutely fascinating. You know, because we've talked about the moment comes in Germany when the Reichsbahn is interdicted to the point where it's useless, that, you know, rail transport is the key to moving stuff around in Northwest Europe. Uh, And obviously they know that because they've been bombing it. But what happens after that? Just fascinating. Anyway, and then we were taking. I tell you what, it puts HS2 into the shade, doesn't it? I mean, the speed of which, <laughs> the speed of which, uh, which they're able to kind of make railways. I mean, you know, and credit oh, where yeah. credit's due, the Germans too. I mean, you know, that changing oh, yeah, that yeah. changing yeah, the yeah. railway gauge in in Soviet Union is just bonkers. It's a colossal it? part of mid twentieth century effort. You know, was now we probably think of heavy airlift and uh, shipping lift as the uh, you know uh, uh, as you know that you can you can move tanks around in aircraft now. But you couldn't then. But but you also you've got to get all the coal over there as well because the the, yeah, fr- yeah, the French yeah, yeah. coal fields are oh, not yeah. not open until they're captured yep. end of August. Exactly because they're so all up near Lille load... and whatever whatever. So exactly. that's got to come so across. A... That that's yet more shipping yeah. space. Yeah. So there's a whole piece of effort that you know is going to get looked into, and I, it's very exciting. Anyway, and then yeah, and then Rebecca Nash, who's, who who runs the. Um, the uh, Royal Engineers Museum sh- showed us around the, the, the RE Museum. Very interesting museum because it's it, it's like the tank museum. It is the regiment's museum, so it is a teaching it is a teaching museum. So if, when you do when you so they have their you know they have their sort of afflicted footfall and tourist footfall as much as there is in Chatham. But basically, anyone on an RE course goes through there. So uh, uh, and the museum is the, that's the museum's you know essential function is it's a, a teaching school. But their archive, my goodness, they, they, they have 7,000 blueprint documents in the Mulberry. 
right? <laughs> which remain which remain in their roles unexamined and so on. It, 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 absolutely incredible. And they've got the photo album of the chief. So a couple of years off the war, the year off the war, the chief designer of the Mulberry did a, did a tour in Canada explaining the Mulberry to people, a lecture tour. So they've got his photo album of of the Mulberry, of every aspect of the Mulberry. It's really interesting because because why would that end up, you know, they, they found those in a stairwell, you know, like or crammed in under a stairwell. Why would you, is it because you're never going to ever do that again? So there's no point looking at it. It's also because you've just got so much paperwork and, you know, this is post-war and you kind of moved on and no, you're absolutely not ever going to do that again. You're just not, yeah. are you? Yeah. you know, so it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a kind of sort of... Yeah, so it's a one fix hit, isn't it? Yeah, but amazing, yeah, 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 isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's just just amazing. It's amazing, that- extraordinary stuff. You know, the operational, uh, the CRE operational orders for for Husky was one of the things she she showed to us, and, and you know, with, with the cover covering thing, which is D is the day of the assault, H is the hour of the assault. You know, the assault, all that on the front page, that front page stuff. Going right here, we go. This is what we're going to do for Husky on the engineering side. Absolutely, I mean it. Truly fantastic archive and resource, and they've just put it all in, you know, in, the, in, in a proper air conditioned room. And they've got, yeah, I've well, never been. I need, so, to, I need to get my ass down there. Oh, it, it's really good. And the Churchill, the Churchill bridging Avery. The, there's a bunch of Churchill Averys outside. You're just like, this is the, this is the stuff. All that assault engineering, all that Hobart um, uh, uh, heavy metal. That then, that then, it's, you know, become part of the, you know, Avery is. You know, there's not there's not a 79th Armour Division anymore, but Avery is core to what the sappers do. Really, really interesting. There's also quite some funny stories in the museum. So there's a load, obviously, a load of chemical warfare stuff. So basically, every every technical development the army underwent comes out of the you know Royal Signals, Royal Flying Corps. Um, uh, everything's come reme. Everything's coming out of the Corps of Engineers because they're sort of in first best dress with all the new technology. So photography is the thing that, that they're really into and then signalling and telegraphing and all this sort of stuff. It's the, it's the purview of the engineers. And the engineers, I mean, it's just so interesting. The engineers are part of the Royal Ordnance. They're not, they're not part of the army. Uh, and they, they start having sapper soldiers when basically, you, you know, you build your fortifications with local contractors and then the enemy turn up and the local contractors run off. So you, <laughs> so what you what you need is sold that the people who are soldiers as well, and the you know the first big exhibit in there is is the plaster um, model made of Gibraltar for the siege of Gibraltar with all the fortifications and the works and 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 how they decided on tunneling up inside the mountain to get gun positions above the. Uh, uh, down to look over the isthmus and all that sort of stuff. It's just amazing. But there's a really funny story of well bl- black humour. So one of the pioneers of chemical warfare in the First World War in the Corps of Engineers is this bloke who thought his fiance had been killed on the Lusitania, right? So and he's a chemist. He's a chemist, so he joins the army, joins the engineers, so he can kill as many Germans as he possibly can. That's his that's his stated aim, right? Right. And okay. his fiance. And his fio- his fiance wasn't killed on the list, but he, he was. <laughs> yeah, well, well, this is amazing. <laughs> was he killed? Did he survive? No, no, no. He can't, you know he was highly successful. Formed all these assault, you know, <laughs> again, all these assault squadrons and companies and stuff. How doing amazing! Chemical weapons who have now evolved into Avery companies. I mean, it's, it's just 
Oh, it sounds absolutely great. Sounds really good. It was a really fantastic visit, and it was really great. It was really great to to do the dinner the night before, and then have a you know have a look around, look look around at the stuff. And and tell me, I mean, you know, seeing Jules Holland in his honorary colonel stuff, did that kind of make you think, yeah? Someone give me an honorary colonel. Tiny bit, tiny bit jealous. I mean, I've picked up the odd honorary degree. You know, the next thing. Yeah, that's no good, is it? Who cares about honorary degrees? You want, you want honorary colonel? Well, well, exactly. You want, you want. I'd love one. I mean, it'd be great, wouldn't it? It it would be. He he looks very natty in it, and he's he's uh, the honorary colonel of um, one hundred and one EOD. So the you know uh, 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 bomb disposal people. Because he's he's local, so he's he's always. He said he used to visit the museum an awful lot, and I think he's done stuff with with. um, uh, stuff with the wounded and uh, 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 they, they kept alluding to that and I asked him about it and he said oh not a lot really he's being modest but Tom <laughs> Jones was there because Tom Jones's grandfather was a sapper having been a guardsman I think in the fir- in the Boer War and then when the First World War came he re-enlisted and went into the Corps of Engineers and they'd done him a family history and uh, how brilliant uh, uh, you know yeah and, it, and he said he always used to look at his grandpa's medals and, and, and now he's a knight He's got a medal, and he sort of thinks, "How strange is that? What a str- what a strange sort of what the, the, the you know the, the 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 strange wending path of life that would land him up there as a as a you know be, being knighted." Anyways, it was a, it was a tremendous evening and, and very very interesting. And you know they've got there's this tapestry in the in the in the mess because EOD people tend to go into places first to make sure they're not booby trapped. They get to steal the good stuff. So there's this enormous <laughs> tapestry that is supposedly Suppose from 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 Berchtesgaden somewhere or something, which is a, like an idealized map of Germany with a, this vast fading swastika and everything. So there's all sorts of plunder and the really great Cueno painting of the bridging of the of the Rapido, um, which is so, you look at that and you think, Gee, Jesus Christ, what a thing that was to have done, and. Uh, uh, and obviously, well, my friend Ted Wick Smith was involved in that. Right, he's in that right. painting. Yeah, he's sort of. He's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's you know he he was part of that because yeah. he, he 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 made in Operation Diadem he made something like twenty five yeah. bridges in twenty seven days or twenty seven nights. That just tells you so many things. It tells you so many things. But what it tells you more oh. than anything else is that to go forward, you need lots of bridges. That, that's what it really that tells you. you. You just you just sort of think about how that concertina's back into kind of, you know, gridlock nice. as an army is trying to move up the yeah. very valley. You can sort of see yeah. why it takes why, why why the FEC and the and two corps going through the mountains on their flank in May nineteen forty four. Are doing better than the Eighth Army in the in the in the Lurie Valley. I know, but they're too they're too slow and cautious, Jim. Jim, they're too slow and cautious. What are you talking too, about? Too slow, too slow cautious. and cautious. They're too slow and cautious. Now you sent you sent me some you sent me some notes and um because uh, uh, dear listener, what occasionally happens is Jim will send me a WhatsApp. What, what do you want to talk about? And, the, and and so he sent me this um the, uh, uh, some uh, some pictures of some documents and the document the chief document is headed. Table 1, Proposed Distribution of U.S. Landicraft, September 1942. Um, total, um, this is LCP LCV. So that's Landicraft personnel, Landicraft vehicle, right? A t- proposed total of 10,492. That's a lot of Landicraft, right? 3,770 going to the Pacific. Um, the Atlantic Amphibious Force getting 1,052. Torch, uh, 1,221. United Kingdom, 982, and a later allocation of 3,467. That's a lot of boats, isn't it? It is a lot it's of just... boats, but, 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 but I've, yes. I mean, I've been looking at the, 
at the whole thing about assault craft because it is so interesting and i think this is really prompted by your chat about the medical guy at um, um oh. uh, arnhem you know i've done quite a lot of work on shipping over the <laughs> over the years yes um yes but but i thought you know and i and i did a you know the, the, there's obviously the 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 Baron's official history on on the challenges of merchant shipping or whatever it's called. But yeah, there's yeah, also yeah. two volumes called Global Logistics and Strategy, which are, which are in the Green Books, which is the Center of Military History of the United States Army. And this is the US Army right. in World War Two. And there's a whole series of yeah. and there's campaigns and there's 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 areas so yeah you know procurement of troops all that kind of stuff but anyway one of them is global logistics two volumes is global logistics and strategy 1943 1941 to 1943 and then 1943 to 1945 and they're beasts i mean they're absolutely beasts of books but they're just stuffed full of statistics and charts and and, and but they're worth persevering with because they do give you a very clear understanding. And, I, and your 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 medical chat on them just reminded me of all that. It's the peripherals, isn't it? And and you know we 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 yeah. talk about it a lot. And in the narrative of the Second World War, it's all about people jumping out of landing crafts and guys in tanks and B seventeen sharp end the stuff. Sharp, yeah. sharp end stuff. But actually, I, I then had to give it. You know, I was at this this future war, future strategy conference the other week. So, so we have Patrick Saunders, who's the head of the army. He was doing one of the after you know one of the dinner speeches, and I had to do another one. And 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 what I was asked to talk about was you know obviously the battlefield is an ever changing place, and you know the effect of drones and and sort of you know Deng Fong forty one ballistic missiles yep. that can operate at Mach twenty six that the Chinese have, and all this kind of stuff. And how does that how is it changing, and and what's similar? And so I was I was talking about all that stuff. And, that's it. But I was talking about about soft developments. So you you can obviously have kind of developments in very specific weaponry, whether it be development of the Matilda to you know the Firefly or whatever, um, and and up guns and and new aircraft and so on and so forth. But I was thinking also about the development in in that kind of soft weaponry and so, and soft power in in the sense that enable you know force enablers and of course shipping and landing craft are, are really absolutely high on that list and what's amazing is just how how late to the game assault shipping is you know and you think back to back to sea lion the plans that german plans for sea lion and the kind of you know all those diversion of rhine barges and only one of them's motorized to every two that aren't and all this kind of nonsense and siebel craft ferries which are just absolutely useless and anything other than a kind of absolute flat mill pond and and it's not until the 9th of july 1941 that 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 fdr you know franklin roosevelt the president says to Henry Stimson, who's the Secretary of War and Henry Knox's Secretary of, of Navy, that they need to plan for the overall production requirements required to defeat our potential enemies. They've already, you know, we, we've had lots of chats about them kicking off in the summer of 1940. You know, we need to upscale, you know, investment and 50 million and all this sort of stuff being donated by Congress. So, September 39, getting the army rolling. Um, uh, all that, uh, all that. But but all that. But, but it's but, not but, until but the, the 9th of July, which don't forget the Americans still aren't in the war at that point, that they're starting to think about not just chucking lots of money at, at kind of productions of aircraft and, and how we're going to do it and harnessing the automobile industry, et cetera, et cetera, but actually a plan, a proper plan. And this is drawn up by General Albert Wiedemeyer, Wiedemeyer. who we were talking yeah. about last week in, in connection with, yeah. with China. And so he yeah. comes up with the victory programme. And... In it, there is not a mention of amphibious warfare. Oh, 
There's a mention of 215 infantry divisions and 8.7 men mobilized. But there isn't, there isn't, there is just, you know, it's just, they haven't thought about it. It's, 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 and that is a product of the fact that this new war that they may or may not be in in the summer of 1949 is so new. They just, you know, should we at any point come into the war? What does that look like? You know, they're just not thinking about kind of jumping around atolls in the Pacific or crossing the Ch- English Channel at that stage. No. Or, or, or going from Sicily to mainland Italy or, or any of no. that. None of it. So, so there is people are starting to think about assault craft, but mainly it's the British who've said, "Ah, we need some assault craft." So, if only because the, 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 you could argue the history of British imperial warfare is descents on uh, on far flung places with with you know you, you, that that that's certainly in Churchill's mind, isn't it? The idea of amphibious descent, as he calls it. So, so the British have at least. British at least have done this before, but in a in a in a different way. I, I mean, this is this is. I mean, it's true. It is truly amazing. That, it is I mean, truly amazing. Were, it is truly what amazing. They, what did they think they were going to do? Like pull up in a port, everyone get off. No, because <laughs> their mind is so consumed by vast numbers of aircraft, vast numbers of tanks, guns. Yeah, they're just not thinking about. Hang on a minute. What's what's the kind of what's the three dimension warfare look like here? Well, the first world, well, the first world war. I suppose you sailed to various French ports. You de you you debust and you took the train to the front, didn't you? And they they they, they haven't got their heads around the fact that they are they won't be doing that yet. A, no, again. and no, and no one's thought. You know, the, the the thinking is that when you when you attack across some sea, you need a port. That's the thinking. So you need to make sure that wherever you land is going to be with a port intact. And it's only kind of slowly but surely dawning that that actually that we need to think of an alternative for that. And and even when it gets to Operation Husky in July 1943, one of the big de- reasons why there is so much debate over the final plan is because the planners think they need ports. They're not they're not assuming that they can load everything through beaches. And that's because because it's never been done before. So so in 1942, up you know up until Husky, there are basically four amphibious operations that the Allies undertake. One of which is Guadalcanal. One is Operation Torch, which is a slam dunk because they use ports mainly. They do have landing craft, but but mainly they're going into Iran and stuff, you know, and into and, and into the the, the actual and Arzu, the actual ports themselves. They're using the ports. Um, then there is Madagascar, of course, ironclad, yeah, ironclad. Um, and but they, they, what they do for that is they, they take the port. They, they do a fl- flanking thing on the port right. to take the port. They need right. the port. Yeah. Right, right, right. And then there's Dieppe, which is obviously a complete cock up. So, so those, those are it. And, and what's interesting is that the Higgins Company, Andrew Higgins Company in New Orleans, which famously produces Higgins boat, the LCVP, they are making LCPs for, um, for the, or LCMs, I think, what they're called. I can't remember what they're called. Anyway, they're a sort of modern, a sort of version of it, a sort of um, an early embryonic version of the landing craft for the British in, in, in 1941. But it isn't until May 1941 that the LCVP, the Higgins boat of, of, of Saving Private Ryan fame, it, it is actually trialled. Not until May 1941. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And, and it's, it's only in the, in the autumn of 1942. But well, spring of 1942 they suddenly go oh hang on a minute um we need to kind of work out we need to think about this um because we haven't not only have we not got enough assault craft we haven't got enough combat loaders either well let's take a break and we'll come back to what they decide to do it having dawned on them that they have to do something how about that all right that's a that's an amphibious cliffhanger for you all <laughs> ladies and gentlemen <laughs> how did they turn it around <laughs> we'll see you in a moment
Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. We're, we left uh, uh, you in suspense for a moment. On there, the top of the cliff. With the, on the top of the cliff. Looking at the top down of the, at the roller sea. coaster. Exactly. Wondering what are how they going one to day do? it might be filled with landing because, craft. Because after all, uh, you know, anyone familiar with. I mean, we were talking about L- LCTs earlier on, so you're, you, you, uh, and uh, LSLs and all this sort of stuff. And, the, and there is this thing that you have the troop carrier and then they get off the troop carrier into the, you know, blah, 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 blah. So, so what, what, what do they end up with, Jim? Well, th- th- they, they realise that for assault craft, there's three major categories, which are combat loaders. Yep. And so these are ocean-going transports and cargo vessels. Um, they're, they're generally armed um, and they're equipped to transport an entire unit, whether that be an artillery regiment or a battalion, whatever it might be. So that it can be discharged immediately. That doesn't mean to say that that's, that necessarily is something that you can just go straight onto the beach. It might have LCVPs, you know, Higgins boats in the davits that you can then lower and, and you know, do the final run. Then there's obviously landing ships and landing craft. Um, and, and then there's amphibious landing vehicles. So this is Amtrak's, you know, ducks, all that kind of stuff, which come a little bit later in the day. They're not really part of the picture in 1942, but they're starting to think about it then. And, and there's a whole host of American combat loaders. So there's APAs, which are attack transports. There's AKAs, which are attack cargo auxiliaries. Then there's XAPs, attack troop transports, and APDs, which are high-speed attack transports. Bottom line is you don't really need to know about all those things and all those acronyms. They're not massively important. The point is these are, these are bigger kind of sort of 100 meter long plus vessels they're 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 big boys being designed being designed from scratch no one has done this before so deciding how much one of these things draws what engines it needs um uh how you how many crew um how it defends itself absolutely everything from scratch yeah i mean well well, when you're looking at the combat loaders when you're looking at pictures of them they they kind of look like cargo vessels to be fair yeah um yeah you know so but but, but beyond that the the actual landing ships you're 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 in they don't exist you're in a complete virgin territory here aren't you completely And, and, and so which is why in the end when you strike on a design that works like the higgins boat you go right okay just we will not refine that further let's just bang them out yeah and the British, the British are designing them too. So, so the Americans, so the British are responsible for the LC, LCT and LCI, which is landing craft, which is sort of you know they're fifty meters long, you know that, that's like the one outside the museum in in Portsmouth, in uh, the D Day Museum in Portsmouth. The, and what can they take? Like sort of three, six tanks or whatever it is. I can't remember. Um, and then then there's the LSIs and LSTs, which are the landing ships, um, which are kind of sort of. They're 120 meters long. They're kind of you know same length as a destroyer, basically. And they're, well, they're, they're an they're enclosed pretty... hull, aren't they? So so they're not open like the like the the, the landing the, that landing ship. The, the, the thing at the thing at Portsmouth is an open thing. These are closed with doors on the on the That's on right. the bow, basically, aren't they? Yeah. And and there's that famous picture of the Sherwood Ranger tank coming out of one of those on D Day, isn't there? Um, uh, uh, what's the name of that tank? Aberdeen. Oh, doesn't matter. Anyway, but. Aberdeen, exactly. That's 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 what we're talking about there. Yeah. An in, an enclosed space uh, ship. No, that's Aberdeen's coming off an uh, off an LCT, a landing craft tank. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but, but there are a, lots of ones. There's, there there's, are there's LSTs a very famous in those yeah. pictures. Yeah. yeah, but there's yeah. that very famous picture of of Omaha Beach, sort of taken from the bluffs. Yeah, uh, but sort of on yeah. D plus three or something, and, and it's just a wash yeah. with with landing ships. Landing ships yeah. are the absolutely kind of the most valuable vessel of all i suppose yeah. if you're gonna gonna put a kind of um a, a marker on it and yeah 
they're quite big big things to make obviously um the british are making their own they're making lcas the, the british tend to kind of want want all their landing craft to be better armed than the americans do the americans are just sort of, you know solid this is going straight on and re rely on offshore naval support yeah to 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 offer the firepower that, that supports any landing whereas the british want that but they also want support something on more immediate and tactical so you get yeah. all these different yeah, yeah. these variations sort of you know landing craft gun and landing craft rocket and all this kind of stuff um but the the, the point is this this program begins with a with a everyone suddenly the u.s navy and and the u.s war department suddenly realize as do the british that that with the Americans arriving in, in Britain, in first troops arriving in January 1942, it's all about Bolero and Sledgehammer. So Operation Bolero is a build-up of troops in, in America, I mean in Britain. And Sledgehammer is a cross-channel invasion, which is due to take place possibly at the end of 1942, but at the latest spring of 1943, at that time. But to do that, they need lots of landing craft. So, so, so suddenly there is this huge pressure to make lots of them. So... so a lot of shipbuilding is halted to enable the Americans to do this accelerated assault craft and combat loader. This is the thing I was going to, you know, uh, 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 bring up, Jim. Is, is famously that you know that Liberty ships that can be knocked out in, in you know in a in a matter in of five days, days sixteen but, hours, twenty six minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How quick? I mean, U.S. shipyards from uh, <laughs> from April nineteen forty two to May nineteen forty three, U.S. shipyards produced eight thousand seven hundred nineteen landing craft. I mean, how quickly are they being made? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. They yeah, are I'm being they're, they're, they're being made. I mean, boy, I'm impressed. By, I'm impressed by that Liberty ship being big. You know, being churned out very quickly. But this is this is insane. Thirteen months, almost nine thousand vessels. Some are simpler than others because you know a, a Higgins boat, boat basically is a metal shoebox with an engine at the back, isn't it? If we're and a, and a door if we're honest well right? yeah, but, and you remember but, i went to, i went to that one in uh in um ohio on, the, on lake erie yeah and you know we, we were sort of beetling around in this higgins boat it is super basic super yeah. basic um, and, and that yeah. has advantages and disadvantages so so the advantages are you know because it's so basic you can actually make it pretty quickly the disadvantages are and this is this is the point one has to has to consider. In our mind's eye, landing craft are all about D-Day. And when I'm talking about D-Day, I'm not talking about about sixth of June, nineteen forty-four. I'm talking about any the, the day. I mean, D is the day of the assault. Day of the assault. D is the day so of the whatever assault. Whatever it be, Husky, yeah. Gilbert Islands, Marshall yeah. Islands, Saipan, yeah. whatever, yeah. Um, and, and obviously including D-Day. But they're used constantly throughout the operation, multiple and, and multiple times on D-Day, of course. And and, yeah, yeah. and what you're doing with a sh with a landing craft is every time you're landing, you're hitting the shore. Yeah. And and you are you are expecting a fairly flimsily made bit of metal can to kind of remain absolutely in perfect nick, which of course it's not going to, because every time you hit it, yeah. you're gonna jolt something, you're gonna knock a you're gonna knock it slightly askew or or dent it somehow yeah. or, or or put extra stress on those bolts and rivets and all that kind of stuff. And what this means is you're constantly having to update and repair and overhaul your landing craft yeah. to make yeah. sure that they're Ship shape. It's a bit like you know overhauling a Merlin so engine. So if they're simple, so if they're simple, all that's all the better, isn't it? That's your... it is, but it still needs to be factored into your game plan. That's yeah. the point. But, the, but yeah. they're so simple, which is great. That means they can be they can be made easily and they can be repaired easily. But because they're so simple, they're more prone to be knocked about. Right. So that's obviously the, 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 there's the, the, the compromise in, in action, isn't it? Yeah. But 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 but, 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 but that, because... that table you were saying at the beginning that I I sent you earlier yeah. on that is 
proposed distribution of landed craft yes, I know, as I they know, exist. I know, and and I the know. bottom line is they don't make as many as they're proposing. Well, because they make they make because they hold up all the other shipping manufacturing, don't they? And and th- that then leads to a supply um, problem and uh, a cho- sort of a, a, a bottleneck in supply. And after all, which is the which tail is which is the tail and which is the dog? What should be wagging what? This is the thing that they're discovering managerially as they go. It, 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 as a new problem surfaces, they seek they seek to solve it. You know, whatever lever you pull, there's always an effect. And, and with this, they end up because they cancel sledgehammer. They end up with doesn't happen. So then you've got you've got some landing craft, not as many as you think you need, is the proposed amount. But that kind of ends up being it, doesn't it? Basically, yes. And, th- and this this is the thing. So, 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 so everyone always, you know, in, in terms of sort of allied joint conferences, I suppose Casablanca is one of the most famous ones. And, it, it, you know, it's the first major one and certainly the first major one where Roosevelt goes overseas. And, it, and it's where sort of point blank is agreed in principle. This is the idea that you destroy the Luftwaffe. As a, as a priority for strategic bombing in Europe. Um, it is also agreed that they're going to sort of accelerate um, the defeat of the U-boats in the in the Atlantic, which which happens. They're going to agree to go into, um, into, into Sicily, Operation Husky, in July. And they're also going to agree that, that nothing less than, than um, unconditional surrender will do for either the Japanese or the, or the, or the Axis powers. All those things agreed. But another really significant conference is the May 1943 one, which is Trident, which is back in Washington. And this is where the Americans are starting to flex their muscles. And this is where Overlord has agreed. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen in the, you know, at that point on the 1st of May 1944. And this starts to kind of, you know, I always talk about the tyranny of Overlord. Uh, Overlord starts to dominate future strategy in the war against Germany, Nazi Germany. Everything kind of falls back to that uh, and focusing around that. But it is also decided by the Americans that they're going to accelerate the war against Japan. And this is a really, really significant moment because as far as the British are concerned, back in the Arcadia Conference, back in December 1941, the Americans agreed to do Germany first and then Japan. And what that means is holding the Japanese at bay and not really bothering too much about them until you kind of got Nazi Germany out of the way. Whereas by the middle of 1943, with the great success that they've had in, in uh, both at Midway in, in um, June 1942... And Guadalcanal, which is all cleaned up by February 1943, everything has changed. And the Americans are suddenly thinking, no, we don't want to take our foot off the pedal. Well, you have to maintain your strategic momentum, and it, which is exactly what we, we we talked about a lot with Italy, is that, is that you know, the, the reason Avalanche goes ahead is because you need to maintain your strategic momentum. Otherwise, otherwise, you know, you may hand the initiative back to the enemy and all that sort of, and all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, so... I mean, very often, you know, when you, when you talk about this, it's interesting talking about these conferences. It's sometimes... It sounds like they're deciding on things that are inevitable. You know, the the the, the, the Casablanca conference. Well, they, the, the idea that you're going to do a point blank, that you're going to do strategic bombing offensive, that they've agreed preordained anyway because of industrial decisions that you've made in order to make that happen. So that's kind of like you know, and well, and well, torches. So much husky feels preordained, really especially if you're following the logic of maintaining your strategic momentum. And the British understand the logic of strategic momentum, don't they? I mean, maybe, is it because things are, things are so stagnant for them in, the, in Burma, for instance, that they're not, they're not seeing fighting the Japanese in the same way? 
because they have no, the British have no strategic momentum in the East, do they? Well, I think they just think it's sort of, you know, in a priority list, it's not as important for for Britain. You know, what's more important for Britain is is, is Britain. Because you're not being bombed, you're not being bombed. London isn't being bombed by the Japanese. No, and it's completely different for America because it's the other side of the Atlantic. So it doesn't have that immediacy. So, you know, I think both, both approaches are entirely understandable. But mm. there's a huge amount of significance for this because what hasn't been agreed is any future strategy for the Mediterranean. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a sort of vague kind of talk about Italy, uh, but 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 nothing else. You know, it is, you know, at Trident, it is agreed Overlord, Accelerated Pacific. And, yeah. and part yeah, of the yeah. specific plans are outflanking manoeuvres in Burma using assault craft, you know, which have got to come from somewhere. So, so. The interesting thing is, is, is that when one looks at this sort of huge, vast number of eight thousand seven hundred nineteen lander craft built between um, April nineteen forty two and May nineteen forty two, and it has to be said that the bulk of those are produced between November nineteen forty two and February nineteen forty three, so in only half that yeah. period, only two hundred fourteen yeah. of those are LSTs, these landing ships, these most precious of all vi- of all vessels, and it is agreed there's going to be three hundred ninety of them in total. Um, yeah. uh, throughout the, you know, that is the goal to have 390. And British are making some of them, but 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 they're going to continue production of LSTs, these landing ships, but not at the same rate. And then there are 470 LCTs, which are you know arguably almost yeah. as vital, and then 1,799 LCVPs, and all the rest are all kind of variations of other things. So in other words, it's not quite as many as as you might think it would be. There are lots more being made and and let's not forget that by the time we get to d-day there are 4170 4127 assault craft assembled for the whole of d-day not including the vast numbers that they've got out in the pacific as well so it is a huge lot but 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 when it is agreed at trident that they can cool down the um you know because the navy is sort of going look this is all well and good and everything but we really desperately need to go back to making other ships again uh, and there is yeah. this 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 memo of the 3rd of april 1943 from the, from the u.s navy that says landing craft construction had been achieved only by cutting across every single combatant shipbuilding program and giving the amphibious yeah. program overriding priority in every navy yard and every major civilian shipbuilding company so it's come at a massive price and this is this is what happens when you're trying to do absolutely everything and become the arsenal of democracy and feed and feed china and feed the soviet union and do amphibious operations in in the pacific at, at a really really high scale and defeat nazi germany all at the same time and and i think you know we've had a lot of chats about this haven't we but but we're we're trying to i suppose what we're, we're kind of sort of breaking down a little bit here for all the enormity of of that un, of that undertaking that the, the, the Americans particularly go in for from from I suppose the summer of 1940 onwards. The demands are so enormous, so global, so kind of mind-numbingly hard to get your head around. That is it any surprise that that that, that landing craft is one of those things where, despite the, the the huge numbers, it's still not enough, and you can start to see. The problems of the Italian campaign and other peripheral campaigns all revolve around this shortage, comparative shortage of of landing craft as it develops over the summer of 1943. But it's that thing that the Allies always have enough nine months later. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. Nine nine months later, you're in the ideal position to do the thing you're doing right now. (laughs) That's the endless, the endless problem. And of course, you want you want to get the war over with, so you do it now. You you take the risk now, rather than wait for the ideal moment. And 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 in any, you know, any strategic decision that I mean, one of the, one of the really interesting. So so at th- Thursday, where we were t- we were talking about, you know, there's a lot of sort of 
you know, uh, uh, over over the Prosecco at the, at the CRE's lobby, a lot of discussion about about the current state, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and all this sort of stuff. And one of the generals basically said, well, what always happens is you end up in the wrong place with the wrong number of people with the wrong kit. And then you pray there's time to correct that. And he says, that's the that is the history of the British army in war. What we're talking about here is a perfect illustration of that. That you've got the your cleverest people, because there's no doubt that, that FDR's got the, his very best people on it. And that they, when they initially get things rolling, they don't think of this. They don't think of um, amphibious craft as a the thing they're going to need. That in itself is fascinating, isn't it? You've got your you've got the absolute best people on it, and they miss something as obvious as this. Because these decisions are all really, really difficult. All right, these, all right. But, 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 but also, just think about, about Casablanca. At Casablanca, okay, they're all about forward planning. You know, so that's the whole yeah. point about, about winning in the in the Atlantic. So that you know how much yeah. shipping is going to come across. So, you know, you're not going to have 25% yeah. of your schedule kind of sunk by U-boats. That's, that's the point yeah. of it. But at Casablanca, the only committed amphibious operation going forward is Husky. The only oh. one. And then fast yeah. forward, you know, four months to, to May 1943 and yeah. increased operations in the Pacific, Burma, which is part of the plan, and Overlord. There are, there are no never... f- future operations in, in the Mediterranean planned at all. So suddenly when everyone yeah. suddenly goes, oh, well, actually, it would be quite a good benefit to go to Italy. You know, I get it. Fodger your airfields, getting Italy out of the war, you know, drawing mm. off German troops. All very good reasons. But that suddenly means they're scrabbling around because they haven't got to do it. So so the Burma operations get cut. You know, they start having to compromise on how much is going back to Overlord for Overlord to Britain and how much is going to, yeah. going to the Pacific. Who is in charge of the US Navy? It's Admiral King. Admiral King is an absolutely... Japan first Pacific first argument you know he's a he's got to kind of go with what everyone says because they're you know he's part of the 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 joint chiefs of staff and all the rest of it but he is still you know incredibly influential man so by the first of of what is available by the first of August 1943 117 out of 201 LSTs expected to go to the Pacific 96 out of 150 LCIs expected to go to the Pacific 180 <laughs> but it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's truly incredible. Truly incredible. And, and and the net result is that when you do find, you know, you've got you've you've had one thousand seven hundred forty three available landing craft available for Husky, which is quite a lot. But obviously, they've been used for every single one of those thirty eight days. So you then got you then as you're getting up into the up into the the narrow northeast corner of Sicily, you can start siphoning them off because they're not needed quite so much because the effort isn't quite so great because the the front line is narrower, which means you can start put sending them back to Malta for overhauling and all the rest of it. But normally, this is a kind of month month. To six weeks but you're now expecting to do that in two weeks to get them ready for operation baytown at the beginning of you know which is the crossing the straits of messina into the toe of italy and subsequently operation yeah. avalanche on the 9th of september and what that yeah. means is you've got 268 landing craft for baytown which can lift you two infantry divisions and 359 for avalanche which can take you three divisions on d-day plus a few special forces and and one more in reserve one division reserve but you know and it's just not enough it's not enough for what you want to do and that's why you get into that pickle. And, you know, they're, all, they're just wanting to do too much with too little. And, and it, is, it, it is amazing how everything boils down to these, these little tin cans. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. It's just amazing. And that you can never actually make enough of everything. You can it, never it, make enough impos- of everything. Oh. It's, it's impossible. 
I mean, even on the reduced scale, they're still producing 15 LSTs a month. Yeah, yeah. but the, you know, you're, when the Navy in that memo, the 3rd of April, say, that, you know, that they need other combat, they're, they're not crying wolf. They do need other combat shipping. And, you know, it's, it's not a... It's not. I mean, it's so interesting. This isn't it that you could that in the end, although although the Allies, because because after all, the the, pic, the the picture is the Allies have this preponderance of stuff that they win by they win via stuff. They haven't got a genie in a lamp, have they? The, 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 it's it's not. That's not how it's working at all, and it's creating its own constrictions and its own own difficulties that 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 are not that are not represented in the picture of the Allies having a having a preponderance. Very often you end up with ammunition shortages, don't you? At various stages in allied campaigns, but they're just basically, they're going to have to ration the rounds and they're out of they're out of artillery ammunition, all that sort of stuff. Because in the end, there isn't a preponderance. It's all being done by, you know, you have to rob Peter to pay Paul. There's, there's only way... You know, the, 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 if you want your ships, well, then you, if you want your landing craft, then you can't have your you can't have your frigates. It's yeah. it's sort of that, isn't it? Yeah. So so the, but but it poses a question with with Italy. Do you would it have been better to just say okay, well, we can't have everything and don't do Italy and save those those landing craft for other and you know and uh, assault craft and combat loaders for other operations? Because if you're not going to do it properly, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get sort of bogged down, and it's just going to suck up ever more. I'll tell you why you do do Italy because Albert Kessering is going to feed formations into Allied traps like an like an eager housefly, isn't he? That's the thing. He's he's too he's. Had you had someone fighting it, you know, we talked about this before about him being cack handed. Had you had someone who who behaved more rationally, with withdrawn when he should have done, put in a proper defensive line, and kept the Allies out rather than feeding formations willy-nilly into the... It, and it's not even an Allied trap. That's the other thing. It's not, what, it's not what the Allies are expecting them to do, is it? It's not what they're hoping will happen. They're, 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 the limit of Clark's expectations at Salerno is you get ashore in one piece, isn't it? That's, what he's hope, that's the outcome he's hoping for, rather than the Germans feeding themselves piecemeal under his guns. So, so it is worth doing, if only because of the way the Germans decide to prosecute the defence of Italy. Yeah, and they get the Foggia airfields, which you know are considered, which are, are critical for the spring of nineteen forty-four and, and for Overlord. But that's crystal ball stuff. You know, you don't know that they're going to. You don't know that they're going to do that, and you're not. You're certainly not getting that from 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 Ultra. That that's Ultra isn't telling you that. Ultra's telling you, you know, how many people are here, there, and everywhere, not what they're going to do or how it's going to how it's going to play out. So, I mean. The allies, the allies in that respect, they get lucky in the way it plays out, don't they? We went for a very long walk yesterday through the through the countryside around here, which is which is which is valleys, plateaus, um, uh, you know, steep steep hillsides running down to, to to a winding river. And I started thinking about, well, you know, where would the OP be overlooking this village? Um, uh, uh, what what do you do once you're up on the plain where there's no cover? I started thinking, thinking like that, and then I got yep. thinking of thinking about a lot. Of any our sensible, com- reasonable person would do. Well, then I, and, and, you know, and that water tower would have an OP in it on this plane, you know. So obviously, as soon as you get up on the plane, you knock the water Church tower over. Sniper, yeah, 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 and all that, right? And and, um, uh, uh, and this corner would be particularly good for when when if you're defending when the tanks come around the corner. This is where you, this is where you where you have your. Yeah, and you got got your artillery the other side of that ridge. Yeah, pack seventy five here. But but no, but it got me thinking about about the descriptions of the Canadians, the hasty peas, and uh, uh, in Italy, 
and how they're having to fight ridge line to ridge line. And it's all really, really hard. And it really, really made me, and, and, and they're not outnumbering the Germans necessarily. It just started to make me think again about the, about the, the Germans are doing a bad job in Italy. That if you've got such defensible territory, why are you making such a mess of it? And it's not, and it's not because of allied preponderance, because there isn't an allied preponderance. And it's not because of an allied firepower, it's a mega firepower advantage, because they don't necessarily possess it. If only because, Moving everything up is so challenging in this countryside, in that countryside. And it just, that just, just made me scratch my head again about, about how good, not how bad the Germans are at it, but how good the Allies get at it and how quickly they learn. And you look at how good, you know, Farley Mowat's descriptions of how horrible it is, but they're still going, they're still pushing on and they're still get, getting the results they need to. And that in itself, I think, is what, what's going on there and how are you maintaining your men's morale? And, and, and the question we keep coming back to when we talked about um, the Schweinfurt raids, Schweinfurt Regensburg raids, the, the rates of attrition, how do you get those men back into B-17? So how do you get these people to fight uphills against supposedly an implacable foe in Italy? Well, I, I, you know, what we need is a talk on Thursday about the morale crisis in Italy with you and Jonathan Fennell and John McManus, perhaps, from Warfest Dry, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I, think, I think we can oblige with that one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I should, I should also say I'm still doing, for anyone who's interested, I'm still doing a few talks um, for, for Savage Storm. So I'm in Hay on the 24th, Friday the 24th of um, November. They've got a kind of sort of winter festival thing. I'm doing Bridport on Sunday the 5th. I think that's kind of what opening event or something. Um, so, um, so yeah, a few things still, still bubbling away. Um, hey, he's always good fun. So, you know, be nice to see anyone who wants to come, but don't feel obliged. Fab. And um, where do, if they Google you, those will turn up, right? The dates and times and everything. If they Google yeah, James I Holland, think so. Yeah, talks, I think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it up on Tweet them up. Sure. Really. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Jim, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was very interesting. I still, it's know, interesting, my, isn't it? It's really interesting. The, you can't have everything. That's the, the simple the simple lesson. Of- <laughs> <laughs> the message from the pod. And other other phrases of, of great wisdom. <laughs> great wisdom. Um, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> Next time you go for a walk, wonder where the OP would be overlooking the um, crossroads well, I'm, down I'm, in the valley. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled to know it's not just me. <laughs> we always do that. I kind of I always wonder about how, how, how easy it would be to defend the Chalk Valley. <laughs> You know, obviously, access advanced, you know, what oh, tanks could go through where, where you go, where you put your guns. OPs. I'd simply bypass Honestly, it. really, I, I recommend anyone to do it. It really, <laughs> really cheers up a walk. Great uh, fun. Th- thanks, everyone, for listening. We, you, this is the sound of the true afflicted. That We will see you we can, all we again. Can, we, can have a, we can have a version, create a version of, of Robert McFarlane. <laughs> Sort of wild, wild places. It's <laughs> <laughs> potential. Six, potential six goes here. Yeah, you, you, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we all. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again very soon. Uh, cheerio. Bye bye. Cheerio.